This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Why don't you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to start reading from verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I want to speak to you this morning on something I've titled Eureka, the place of no return. Eureka, the place of no return. I have to use examples that are relevant to my life, okay? It just, it is what, that's, that's my prerogative because I'm speaking. <laughs> so when you speak, you can use examples that are relevant to you. So Lorne and I, we, we chat frequently about stuff and I value Lorna so much. Where is she? Because I have to embarrass her for one moment. She's hiding. But Lorna helps us incredibly with so many projects here. And just we say a big thank you to Lorna. But anyway, I'm tra- <laughs> apart from all she's done, because she doesn't want to be in the spotlight. So we're going to focus now on Lorna's issues. <laughs> <laughs> so Lorna and I were having a discussion. I am going somewhere with this. Just, just stick with me. I promise we are going somewhere. Lorna and I were having a discussion because you see the thing is, Lorna was telling me about the fact that she, she drinks this wine and this wine is so sweet, but she really likes this wine. And so we have this discussion every now and again and I tell her about different bottles of wine that I've been trying and drinking and what I like about them. And all she tells me is, yeah, but I like this bottle of wine because it's sweet. <laughs> so I said, okay, Lorna, listen, I'll put a challenge out to you. Take a month. Four weeks. Come off that wine and try some other stuff. And if you do that, what you'll find is you'll find it really hard to go back to where you were. And so she listened and so she started doing that. The thing about it is when you sweet, drink sweet wine, it's one-dimensional. It's sweet. And so you can have anything you want as long as it's sweet. It's sweet. The thing with it is At some point, there comes a place where we're a little bit more inquisitive about wine because we hear other people talking about the complexity of it and the nuances of it and people talking about how they got different flavors and how the the tannins changed. And it's like, oh, this is quite interesting. But you know, I don't get any of that from my wine. And it's intriguing. And what it really does is, to some extent, makes us a little bit uncomfortable with where we are and gets us to the place where we're prepared to step out and we're prepared to try something different. I'm prepared to move forward and to try something, even though it makes me feel uncomfortable. The thing about the challenge is this. When you do the challenge, what ends up happening is you have to be at a place where you recognize in order to move into something new and something different, something that may be more expansive in your life, you're going to have to let go of where you are. I can't stay where I am and move into something new. And so the thing is, I have to be at a place where I sit and say, I'm prepared to take that step and move in a direction in order to get something done. There is an intentionality to it. 
You don't wake up one day and all of a sudden I have a palate for wine and it's like, oh, I really like this. It's so much more sophisticated than what it used to be. I'm intentional about sitting saying, I want to go somewhere. And because of that, I'm going to do what's necessary in order to move me into that space. And when I move into that space, something really crazy happens. You find yourself in a place of no return. You find your place, yourself in a place of no return because what ends up happening is I, t- I took on the challenge and I started drinking some other wine. And as I got into that wine, the funny thing was I thought about it for a minute, but I wasn't fully satisfied. I hadn't reached the place where I actually realized the fulfillment of what I was looking for. But at the same time, I try to go back only to discover that I couldn't drink that sweet stuff anymore. And so I find myself in an interesting paradox because I can't go back to where I was. I can't go back to the place I used to be because I'm disconnected from that place. But at the same time, I haven't really reached where it is that I want to go. To find your future is hunger. How hungry are you for that? I hate that place. I've, I've told you this. I've been in that place for a while. Let me tell you, if you're a born again believer, you're going to find that place. You're going to find that place. And it's going to be very disconcerting and uncomfortable for you. Because what we're going to discover is everything that I knew and the place where I was and that place of comfort for me in my Christianity, that place where I was so established, where I knew what I wanted, how it was supposed to work, how everything was supposed to be. I got to that place where I felt as though I had a monopoly on everything. And all of a sudden, I mixed with the wrong people. Don't mix with people who are God people. Because when you do... You've got a point of comparison. And suddenly you sit and hear what God's doing in their life. And what's happening. And things are moving and things are changing. And God is intervening in situations. And the miraculous is taking place. And people's lives are being changed. And circumstances are being altered. And suddenly I sit there and I say, but maybe there's more to my single paradigm. Maybe I'm too closeted. Am I brave enough to take the leap? Am I brave enough to let go of where I am and what I can define to step and take his guidance and move into a place where he's wanting to move me? Because I can't have both. I can't hold on to what I can define and what I know and everything that defines my current circumstance and at the same time sit and say, but I'm looking for newness and growth. Something's got to give. But be careful. Because you have to make this decision carefully. I can promise you it's worth it. But I will warn you of this. If you venture out, you're going to enter into a place of no return. Because what ends up happening is, I've tasted something that won't let me go back to where I was. But I'm not fully satiated where I am. And I'm still looking for more of what it should be. You know what feeds you in that place? Those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. How hungry are you for it? Keep trying wine! Because when you keep trying it, at some point, you're going to have a eureka moment. Somewhere down the line, you're going to touch and taste something and go, I like that. 
Everything up until this point has been dreadful. It's been awful. It's been like vinegar. It was supposed to be so much better. But what did you say it tastes like? Bird's feet. I don't know what bird's feet taste like. <laughs> Lorna said it tastes like bird's feet. Where's my water? Thank you. I've never tasted bird's feet before, but obviously she has. <laughs> Where was I? I know, but what was my point? <laughs> I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I want to be. But persist with it. Because you're going to have a eureka moment. Persist with hunger. Persist where I'm thirsty for the things of him. Because when I stick with that, it's going to take me to a place where suddenly, eureka, I touched something that I've never touched before. You know what happens when you have a eureka moment? You want to live in a bottle store. You love going into total wine because you look at it and the shelves are full of wine. And every one of them is different and every one of them unique and every one of them has got its own personality and everyone brings with it so much opportunity to taste something new and different and varied. Let me tell you something. When you have your eureka moment with God, it's like walking into an absolute total wine with God. Every time you turn around, you're going to discover something new about him. I used to live with this one little shelf and I used to buy this one bottle all the time. But I had a eureka moment. And I realized that God is so much bigger than my one bottle. And all of a sudden, I love it. Because every time I go there and I try a new bottle, you know what happens? I open it up and it just smells so different to the one that I had before. And what ends up happening is I find that the tannins are different. And it's so much more complex because it's got so much more layering to it. And sometimes it's something which is the red fruits and sometimes it's the dark fruits and sometimes there's a little bit of minerality thrown into it. It's all this complexity. And I taste that and I go, you know what? It's different to every other wine I've tasted. But I love it. Let's try the next one. That's our life with God. When you find your eureka moment, you'll move to a place where it's like, I want to live from a place of hunger. I want to live from a place of discovery. If you're holding out for eureka, it's a hard place. I don't like that space. I'm not patient. I don't have the personality for it. I don't like treading water. I don't like feeling like I'm sitting at a place and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and nothing's happening. What's going on, God? But I'm sitting waiting for Eureka. I don't give up on things. I keep feeling it all the time. I want to speak to you this morning about reaching your Eureka moment. Because when you reach Eureka, it's the place of no return. Jesus goes down and he says to John, I'm here to be baptized. And John has a revelation. Because what he got in that moment he couldn't read 
through human eyes. What he got in that moment was a download from God as to who he was dealing with. Because he turns to him and he says, I can't baptize you. How did he know that? He knew it because John baptized people unto righteousness. Jesus hasn't died at that point. He hadn't been risen. He hadn't risen from the dead. So he wasn't at a place where people could receive him as Lord and Savior. So what ended up happening was, if you were a person who recognized that you wanted to have a meaningful relationship with God, John would baptize you into repentance. So you would, you would go to him and he would say, fine, I'm going to baptize you and you will repent. And what ends up coming up is the dedication and commitment to live your life for God. That's what John was doing. And so when Jesus arrived and Jesus said to him, I want to be baptized, he said, he took one look at him and he said, I can't baptize you because you are perfect. You are righteous. I've got nothing to baptize you for. You don't have sin. There was no need for John to baptize him. And Jesus said, but you need to baptize me. Do it. Why is baptism important? Baptism is important because what baptism speaks about, it speaks about the death to the flesh. Rising to life with the Spirit. Jesus' life culminated at this point. This was his eureka moment. Because for 30 years he had spent time studying the Word. He was, he, he was God made flesh. He lived as man. He had spent that time studying. He had spent that time reading. He had spent that time absorbing and grabbing hold of the things of God. And he was making moments of discovery along the way. And they were deep. They were so deep that even when he was young, he went into the temple and the people who worked in the temple, the scribes and the Pharisees, were amazed at what he knew. He spent his life in the word understanding, trying to grab a hold of, trying to get some definition as to who God was and what what God was all about. And in that context, he was finding some definition as to who he was and what his purpose was. And he reaches this point and all of a sudden he says, I need to be baptized. What he was saying was this. The messaging was, everything that I've done up until this point has been in my strength and my ability. But the statement I'm making to the world is I'm dying to the flesh and I'm rising to the spirit because I recognize that my future doesn't lie where I was. My future doesn't lie in what I knew. My future doesn't lie in my ability. My future lies in his power and his presence. That's a statement he was making. All of us are going to come to that place. That's why I can guarantee you, you're going to find yourself at some point where the invitation is going to be there, when the discontent is going to come and settle on the inside of you, and you're going to be unhappy with where I am right now, to sit and say, I know that there's more. I don't know what it is. I may not be able to define it. I may not be able to see it. I may not be able to touch it right at the moment, but I know that it's there. When you get to that place, 
very often the moment that we're moving into is a baptism personally where I'm coming to a point where I'm prepared to lay down everything that I've done up until that point to sit and say I'm prepared to sacrifice it so that I can live from presence and power. To live from presence and power. The word is fantastic. God gave us the word. And should I tell you something? Even if you never had the Holy Spirit, if you just were to take the word and you in your own strength were to make decisions for your life based on the word, you would make some pretty good decisions for yourself. You would be in a whole lot better position if you lived your life according to what the word said as opposed to what we personally think. That's one of the big problems with the world. What, what, what is that video you sent me? What's his name? The funny one. Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart. Yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> so Jim sent me this video of Bob Newhart, and it's, he comes in as a psychologist. And so it's a short thing. It's seven minutes, but it's really funny. But it's so pertinent to our Christianity. The point of the whole thing is, just do it. Oh, but I've got all of these problems, and oh, but I've got all of these woes, and I've got all of these feelings, and I've got all of, but what should you be doing? I should be doing this. Then do it. <laughs> you complicate it because I want to talk about how it was brought up, and what I is and how I felt, and what's happening on the inside, and all of this stuff. What should you do? This. Do it. <laughs> Some things in life are pretty self-explanatory. Do it. That was ugly. That was a mean thing to say. Don't you agree? Yes. Then don't do it. Oh, I've got to have a deep revelation. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and change me. Maybe he doesn't need to change you. Maybe you just need to do it. I couldn't help myself. I just was in the store and I saw that chocolate bar and I had to have it and I took it. It's called theft. Is thieving right? No, it's wrong. Don't do it. Here's a simple, practical phrase for the week. If it's not right, don't do it. If you know what you should do, Do it. This is not deep. This is elementary stuff. Sometimes we just need to do what's right. It's not complicated. I don't have to go and have a prayer ordeal. I don't have to get into my prayer closet. I don't have to get into sackcloth and ashes. I don't have to start fasting to find out what it is. Some things are elementary. Do them. The point is this. When you take the word of God and you begin to apply it and you begin to put it into your life, there are some things that you can take and you can do. It's a good thing. Right? But what that's going to produce is it's going to produce somebody who is morally upright, in many instances, makes good, wise decisions. And somebody who's knowledgeable about the word. But that's as far as it takes you. Your eureka moment comes 
when I sit and say, I'm ready to move beyond that space. Because the life in which I find myself demands more from what I can do. It demands something of him. And in order for me to move into that space, it means I have to get to a place where I sit and say, I recognize that in order for me to move forward, I've got to let this down so that I can grab hold of presence and power. When I move into that space, it's going to demand something more from me. And I will tell you this, it's going to make you uncomfortable. Anything that's new in our life makes us uncomfortable. It doesn't mean it's bad. This is where we get back to basics here. If it's right, sometimes we just got to do some stuff because it's the right thing to do. And when I get into that space, God may sit and say, you know what? I know that you're feeling insecure where you are. I know that you feel vulnerable. I know that you feel, feel as though people are going to look at you and people may make comments about you. I know that you may feel exposed. But I'm inviting you to come up and give your testimony. Because you know what? If you get up there and you open your mouth, you create opportunity for anointing to happen. But you've got to step beyond your comfort levels. Will you do it for me? That's where it gets practical. God's inviting us into something new. And he's looking for partnership. It doesn't say, it doesn't say this in Matthew. But um, in Mark when it gives the same account. It starts off by saying, Jesus of Nazareth from Galilee. And then carries on. Now, if we look at that, we would easily just pass over it and be like, okay, fine, that's where he came from. But if you start to have a look at what the meanings of those words were, it becomes quite interesting. Because Nazareth means Victorious one. Galilee means the place of revelation. When Jesus walked up to John, what he was saying was, victory revealed has arrived. He had spent 30 years understanding and coming to a place where he was introduced to his purpose. He, was, he understood what his purpose was. His purpose was defined from where he came from. His purpose was defined from what he had accumulated over that time. But it brought him to a place where he recognized, although that has introduced me to my purpose, I can't walk it out without presence and anointing. What he was saying was, victory revealed has arrived so that I can grab hold of presence and power. Because presence and power, together with purpose, leaves an anointed individual. And where we are and where we're going, There are some things that are particularly important. And one of the most important things 
is understanding and developing a meaningful relationship with the Holy Spirit. You see, when people were anointed in the Old Testament, what ended up happening was, anointed means set aside for purpose. Set aside for purpose. The anointing is the presence and the power to fulfill the purpose for which you have been set aside. So they work together. They work together. When God anointed David as king and told Samuel to go and said to him, what I want you to do is you anoint him. What he was saying to him was this, I've got a purpose for your life. Your purpose is to be king. And as a result of that, what ends up happening is that um, Samuel anoints him. And in Samuel chapter 1, I think it's verse 16. And it says, and from that point on, the presence of God was with him. From that point on, the presence of God was with him. You see, the presence is important. Because when the presence is there, the power is there. When the presence is there, the power is there. That's what the disciples discovered. The disciples loved being around Jesus because when they were around Jesus, things happened. We loved being around him because what ended up happening was he went and prayed for people and things happened. He cast out demons and things happened. He raised the dead and things happened. God with us. You see, when God was with him, what ended up happening was Jesus said, not only do I know what my purpose is, but actually now I have God with me and the power to fulfill my purpose. That's why at the end of of that, the first thing that he does is he goes back to the temple. And what does he say when he gets into the temple? He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. You know what he was saying? He was saying, the presence is here. And because the presence is here and the power is here, today the scripture is fulfilled. I'm here to bring the good news. It's me. I am revealing myself not only in what I say, but in what I do. If you look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. That's what anointing does. Anointing puts the presence with you. And the presence is there to fulfill purpose. Not whatever I want to do. That's why the word becomes important. Because every time I'm getting into the word and I discover something in the word, I'm discovering purpose for my life. Jim and I were talking about this. It's like the word's so valuable because you know what you're doing. All you're doing is you're throwing toys into the sandpit. Anytime you get stuff. Because at some point when you're going along and you need something, the Holy Spirit's going to sit and say, ah, I'll tell you what you got in the sandpit. Let's go and pull that out. Here you go. Now you take this. It gives definition to the situation and to the circumstance. And I am here to empower that and make it happen. That's why when Jesus was about to leave, his disciples were so unhappy. 
Because they said, if you leave, the presence goes. If you leave, the power goes. If you leave, we go back to being ordinary people. In John chapter 14, in verse 18, that's why Jesus speaks to them and he says, I will not leave you comfortless. You know what the word comfortless means? In the original Greek, it actually means orphan. You know what an orphan is? An orphan is someone who doesn't have parents. Parents are important because parents are your source of provision. Parents provide your emotional needs. Parents provide your physical needs. Parents provide your intellectual needs, your material needs, everything that you are there for. Your parents are there to provide for. What he was saying to them was this. I will not leave you without one who is able to provide for you in every way that I did. And he goes on. If you go two verses earlier in verse 16, it says, I will pray the Father and he will send you a a helper or comforter that he may abide with you forever. The word pray there is actually a legal word. What it means in the original Greek is that Jesus had a look at this and he said, the situation is so imperative that the helper come that I'm going to go and I'm going to petition the Father and I'm going to make a case as to why the Holy Spirit needs to come. The Holy Spirit never came from Jesus. The Holy Spirit was a gift from the Father. Jesus petitioned the Father and sat and said, this is what we need. And he provided the comforter. The word comforter there actually means, uh, I can't remember, means something. I promise it does. What does it mean again? Uh, It's alos or something, I think. Alos, I was right. It means alos. What it means is this. Someone exactly like me. What he was saying was, even though I go away, I'm going to send you somebody who is exactly the image of who I am. An exact replica almost of me. So he's going to talk like me and he's going to think like me and he's going to act like me and he's going to behave like me and he's going to do all the things that I do. Because when he comes, he's going to look exactly like me. If you were to rewrite that verse, in that context, what it would say is this. I will pray the Father and he will send you someone who is exactly like me in every way. He will be identical to me in the way that I speak, think, operate, see, and the way that I do things. If he is here, it'll be just as if I am here. Christians who sit and say, I wonder what it must have been like to walk in the days of Jesus, have totally missed the point of the Holy Spirit. The point of the Holy Spirit is, I'm inviting you to modern day Christian living. I'm inviting you to modern day living with Christ in you. What does it look like? The reason that we get the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit's job is to move us to a place where we can recognize Christ with me. And when I have Christ on the inside of me, he's going to take Christ on the inside of me and give him flesh so that once again, Christ can live through me. 
Jesus came to John. He never came to replace the law. He came to fulfill the law. And because he came to fulfill the law, what he was saying was, everything that the word said to do, I've done. He could stand there blameless. And so when he came up from the waters, a voice came out from the heavens that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know what he was saying? Why was he well pleased? Because he was righteous. That's why he was pleasing to God. And because of his righteousness, God said, okay, fine. Because of that, I can give you an anointing. I can give you a gift called the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, the presence and the power was with him. I think it's Romans chapter... My head's all over the place. Romans 3 verse 22 says we have been made righteous with his righteousness. You know why that's important? Because what he's saying is this. It doesn't matter what you do. You can never get yourself to that place of being righteous. So what you want is you want to be able to accept a gift that puts you in that place. Because when you move to a place of being righteous, all of a sudden God has a look at you and says, Wow, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. All of a sudden, that space on the inside of me, that spirit part of me, has been cleared out. And there's no sin in that space. And when there's no sin in that space, all of a sudden, God can move into that space. And when God moves into that space, the presence and the power has taken up residence. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to take Christ in me and what's alive in my spirit and make him Alive in who I am. Put him into my heart. The way I think. The way I move. The way I decide. The way I see. The way I feel. That's his job. What is he doing? He's taking Christ the word. And once again making it flesh. The whole purpose is to move to a place. Where we get back to what the original design was. Jesus comes out of the water and he's anointed by the Holy Spirit and a voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son. The reason that's so important is because it's a validation of a prophecy that was given to Mary. And the one that you carry will be known as the Son of God. And when he came up from the water, the voice from heaven came and said, this is him. This is my beloved son. It's important because what God was doing was he was affirming his identity in who he was as the son. And when he affirmed his identity as the son, Jesus moved to that place of affirmation where he could sit and say you know what I'm living with dad all of a sudden God who used to be up there somewhere for the first time since the garden of Eden man could sit and say God has moved into the space and all of a sudden I can have relationship with a father a father It was so important because, you see, the nature of our relationship defines the intimacy that we enjoy. I 
I run into people that I see at the gym. And I'm like, hi, nice to see you. But I have a very different relationship with them than I have with Sarah. The nature of our relationship becomes so important. And what he was saying was, I'm introducing you to sonship. I'm introducing you to the closest of all relationships. You are my offspring. You have my nature on the inside of you. It becomes important because the thing that sustains Jesus is his relationship with the Father. With regularity, he he, he separates himself to go and spend time with the Father. What are you saying? Talk to me. Tell me truth. Give me direction. Right after his baptism, what is the first thing that happens? He gets led off into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. And what does the devil test? If you are the son of God. He goes straight for identity. Why? Because if I can compromise your identity, I'll undermine the nature of your relationship. If I can get you to a place where you're beginning to doubt who you really are and the way that you're connected to somebody, I'll begin to compromise and erode what basically sustains you. I'll give you a good example. So Sarah and I, have a marriage relationship. The two shall become one. Except when we fight. (laughs) (laughs) But what happens? The two shall become one. But when we're disagreeing about something, what ends up happening is all of a sudden, I feel as though it's like, relationship moves to function. We live together but if you have the cold shoulder, I don't like talking to you. And we talk about functional stuff, but we never share. Why? Because relationship has been affected. It's the same thing that Satan knows. If I can compromise your relationship with God, if I can get you to feel bad, if I can get you to feel guilty, if I can do something in the context to basically defile that relationship in some way, you'll end up in a place where you sit and say, I can't do this anymore because I don't know if he loves me. I don't know if the presence will be there. I don't know if he'll support my purpose. It becomes so important for us to maintain that relationship. I am the vine, you are the branches. Where did I write that? I've got it here somewhere. John 15 verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. When you hook into the vine, you hook into relationship. And when you hook into relationship, you hook into flow. If I'm wanting to get the anointing in my life, I've got to hook into relationship. What do you want God to do in your life today? Where are you in your relationship with Him that you would say, I want for Him to meet me at this place. Where are you hungry and what are you hungry for? 
Can you define it? It becomes important for us because if you read Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, I'm going to leave you with this because this is the practical. It's so simple, but it's so profound. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Do you know what he's saying? What are you asking for? You see, if I'm moving from a stage in my life, in my Christianity, in my relationship with God, and I know where I've been, and I know that I want something more, I may be brave enough to step beyond the threshold. It's intentionality that gets me there. What are we being intentional about? He is the source of everything. But as I get to a place where I begin to spend more time with him, I open up the opportunity for him to begin to speak to me. What am I asking him for? Father, I want a fresh impartation. I need a fresh impartation of your anointing because I don't want to live where I was. I want to move to a new place. I want to thank you for your word because your word says to me that if I ask, I will receive. I'm asking for this right now. And by faith, I receive it. God loves us so very, very much. He's on your side. He's fighting for you. And he's fighting with you. When we come to a place where we want more of God, it's a healthy place. But it is a scary place. Because I have to step beyond what I'm comfortable with. Know this. He will never leave you nor forsake you. What he has promised you is this. I will give you the comforter. I will give you someone who is exactly like me, who will do what I would do, who will think like I think, who will introduce you to the things of me. And as he introduces you to who I am and to what my purpose in life is, it's an invitation for you to step into that stuff. And as you move into that, know that because God is with me, The power is with me. Know that because the presence is with me, the anointing is with me. And believe for him to move into that space with you and act. Find what he asked you to do. I think that our Christianity is being redefined. I don't know about you, but for me it is. What I mean by that is this. The word gives definition. Let me, let me give you an example. If I walked into a dark room, okay, I'd be able to kind of feel my way around and I'd be able to feel and be like, this is a sofa over here and I feel a chair over there and this is a table over here. I've got some definition as to the size of the room and the layout of the room and what the room is all about. But when I turn the light on, everything comes to life. Everything that I thought I knew something suddenly takes on a whole new complexion. We can have the word, but when we have the word with the spirit, all of a sudden the light goes on. And suddenly everything that I thought I knew suddenly comes to life. And I go, it's so much better than what I thought it was. 
I didn't realize the nuances and the patterns. I didn't realize the environment. I didn't realize, I didn't realize all of that stuff. What I'm suggesting to you is this. As we move into relationship with God, so much of what our Christianity has been before has been by touch and feel. He's going to turn on the light. And when he turns on the light, you're going to see what the room looks like. It's good. Rafa, come and pray for us. Because you're a man of power, Rafa. Hello? Oh, hey, I'm on. I'm always on. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm always scared. Like, come up here and say, even the word I gave, I was scared. Uh, But do it, right? Just do it. Be obedient. Mm -hmm. So, everybody stand up. Because we're all people of power. Amen? Oh, hold on. My wife is yelling at me. Are we good? I'm still a man of power. Yay. All right, here we go. Hands up, hands on your heart, close your eyes. Whatever it is that you need to do to feel Holy Spirit. This, this whole message today was just about you and your relationship with Holy Spirit and the inheritance that Jesus left you with him. That is the whole point. And my question to you is, are you using it every single day? Did you use it during worship? Did you use it when you woke up? Did you use it in your marriage? Are you going to use it tomorrow? Are you going to use it when you leave? Or are you going to leave it here in the chair? Yeah, Holy Spirit, thank you for never leaving us nor forsaking us. Thank you that our inheritance (laughs) comes straight from you. So that means there's nothing we have ever done that will stop us from moving in that inheritance. Yeah, And, uh, and I feel the word repent right now, which just means a change of heart, a change of attitude. So Holy Spirit, thank you right now for a change of heart, a change of attitude, a change of habit. Yeah, on leaving you, Holy Spirit. We're just going to invite you to every second, to every moment, and we're just going to do it. Yeah, so Holy Spirit, thank you for that. Thank you for being good. You want to go deep, but you also want to be on the surface. You want to go in our heart, but you also want to go in our mind. Yeah, so right now we're all together because there's power and agreement together. We're going to give permission for Holy Spirit to move. So we're going to say, Holy Spirit. Spirit. I didn't hear everybody. Holy Holy Spirit. We give you. Permission, permission to move, to move. and for you, and for you. To, do it. to do it. Amen.